Essential NLP. Practical skills for a great life. Hi, and a very warm welcome from me, your host, Phil Parker, to this podcast on the essential skills of NLP. This is a series of 10 free podcasts introducing a fascinating field of NLP, that's Neuro Linguistic Programming. If you've enjoyed these podcasts, you can get the rest of the entire series directly from the iTunes store. Simply search for me, Phil Parker, or Essential NLP to find it. Essential Skills of NLP, podcast number nine. Thanks again for tuning in and listening to this. It's been amazing, the response across the world to these podcasts, consistently in the top five of business podcasts on iTunes. Absolutely amazing. Thanks so much, and keep on spreading the word. So let's carry on from where we left off last time. Well, so far we've been exploring the presuppositions of NLP, and we did the first three or four, and there are 11, but I'm actually going to take a break from presuppositions because I want to give you some other things to think about. Otherwise, it just starts to become a bit like a boring lesson. We certainly don't want that on this podcast. We've had enough of that in the rest of our schooling lives. So we're going to dip into something I find absolutely fascinating about NLP. And technical term, as it often is with NLP, it's called submodalities. Uh, but let's explain it. It's really simple stuff, really amazing stuff. It's fundamentally looking at the way the brain files things. If we consider the brain a little bit like a filing system, a memory storage machine, which to some extent it is, then where information is filed seems to have a significance as to how the brain attends to it. A bit like if we have a file that's marked urgent or bills to pay, we may pay more attention to it than another one that says pensions, for instance. So let's begin. First of all, we need to discover a little bit about the filing system of the brain. Before we even delve into what submodalities are, let's look at something else, which is how the brain processes information. It predominantly processes information through the core senses that we have, sight, hearing, smell, taste, and so on. And it seems like in Western culture, at least, three of these senses tend to be predominant. So that's the sense of seeing, our visual sense, the sense of hearing, our auditory sense, and the sense of sensation, kinesthetic, as it's technically called. Now, the kinesthetic sense means the things we experience directly. So not emotions, but things like touches, uh, heat, so on and so forth. The kinesthetic sense, this feeling sense, is probably the least used, again, in Western culture. Uh, we, as a, as a culture, are relatively out of touch with our experience of sensations. Not everyone, but a lot of people. It was interesting when I trained as an osteopath. As an osteopath, you have to feel, derive information by using your fingers, recognizing movement and tension and so on and so forth. And what was intriguing was how, when you started as an osteopathic student, you had such a small experience, such a small knowledge base to work from. And by the end of four years of experiencing and feeling people's bodies and training yourself in that, you had a much greater developed sense that was far above. Most people wandering around the street just don't have an experience of what it feels like to perceive sensations. So these are the three main systems that we use to process information. And we can process information from the outside world, so a direct experience that we have of what's going on, but we can also process information from our memories, from our thoughts, from our 
guesses. And although these provide information from our internal experience and from inside our brain, we perceive them as equally real. So in NLP, these systems, the auditory, kinesthetic and visual system, are called representational systems, suggesting that what we're doing is representing a version of reality. Sometimes it's a genuine experience of reality from outside, as I said, and sometimes it's a generated experience from inside. But even with the direct experience from outside, we can perceive it in very different ways. So, for instance, sometimes a tickle can be fun, sometimes it can be annoying. So we can have a different experience of the same sensations. Now, there's lots of things we could say about representational systems, and there'll be another podcast on it later on because it is very important to NLP. But very briefly, something we touched on, I think, in the very first podcast when we asked people to talk about their postcodes or their zip codes. Remember we said we saw their eyes moving around. Quite often, if you say to somebody, what did you have for dinner yesterday? You'll see their eyes tracking up, usually to the top left. Why do they do that? Well, it seems there is some linkage between which representational system people are accessing. So, for instance, if somebody's remembering a picture, it seems like for many people, they tend to look in a certain direction. So we can see representational systems all the time when people answer questions with a pause and gazing off in the distance in some particular direction. This is a sign they're accessing some kind of information in a particular system. So now we've got the very basics of what a representational system is, which is how we perceive information. We can start to look at submodalities. Now, submodalities are really fascinating. Let's say somebody is picturing something in their mind. They have an image in their mind of it. There are some questions we can ask, and this comes from a, a brilliant NLP guy called Todd Epstein, who unfortunately is no longer with us. Todd said, well, if we describe that picture, not, not in terms of its content, so not in terms of what the picture is of, but in terms of what the picture looks like. What qualities does that picture have? So classically, that would be, is it near? Is it far away? Is it coloured? Is it black and white? Is it moving? Is it still? Is it this big or this big? So what I'd like you to do is just play around with this. I'd like you to think about a food you love. Your favourite dish, your favourite fruit, whatever it may be. And just in your mind, just think about that. And as you do, notice what it is you're aware of. Now for many people, they will see it. For some people, they will hear the sound of that food cooking. Some people might have a sensation of eating it. And because this podcast is going out to everyone, we're just going to do it in one representational system to start with, and that's the visual one. As you notice this image you have in your mind of this food that you're very fond of, just notice the qualities that it has. So let's have a look. Is it colour or is it black and white? Is it near to you? Is it far away? Is it more towards your face or to your left or your right? Is it above or below your eye line? Is it moving? Is it still? How big is it? As you start to pick up these qualities, or technically these submodalities of the image, just notice them. The interesting thing is when we compare something that you don't like, so food that you really don't like at all, as you think about that food, notice where the image of that food is. Is it near? Is it far away? What position is it in? Is it black and white or coloured? Is it large or small? As you start to compare these pictures, 
you'll see there are some key differences between the food that you like and the food that you don't like. The next step then is to take the food that you really do like and just temporarily, just for a few moments, just to experience this, to take that food and reproduce all those qualities, all the submodalities of the food you don't like. So if, if your, the food you didn't like was over to the left and the food you did like was more in front of you and you shift the food that you do like over to the left. If the food you didn't like was black and white and the food you do like is coloured, you'd shift the food that is in front of you and coloured and shift it to the left and make it black and white. So you reproduce all the qualities of the submodalities and a fascinating thing happens as you do that. Just check it out. Pretty much universally you'll find that when you shift the submodalities, it changes how you feel about that thing. And that's because you change the filing system. You put that image of the food you liked into the file, the position, the color that represents that filing system of foods you don't like. And as a result, your brain responds to this new ordering, this new filing by going, oh, OK, I don't like that food. Isn't that fascinating? So obviously bring the food that you like back to where you want it. Now, if you have kids who aren't eating a particular food, vegetables, for instance, you can use your understanding of how the brain works to help them to feel better about food. So let's say they don't like peas, but they really like ice cream. When you discover the difference between how they code, how they see ice cream and how they see peas, by shifting the peas to more like ice cream, you will find they feel better about peas. It's really that simple. I'm going to finish this very brief introduction to submodalities. We will be covering this more as it's such a fascinating way of thinking about things. I'd like to tell you a story about when I was producing a newspaper. The newspaper was just finished and I put it to bed and ready to print the next day. And in those days we didn't back up computers. And just as I saved it the final time, the whole thing crashed. And I could not restart the computer. And I needed to restart the computer because it had the newspaper on it and it had to go to print the next day. I knew I had the option of struggling to try and fix the computer all night, but I was really tired having worked hard on this newspaper and I really needed some sleep. So I decided what I would do is I would go to sleep and sort it out in the morning. But of course I knew I wouldn't be able to get to sleep because I'd be thinking about this disaster that had occurred and trying to work out solutions. I knew it would play on my mind. So I used a process called submodality switch, which is what we've just kind of done with the food, the peas and the ice cream. What I did was use the idea, very powerful idea, of ambivalence. I thought to myself, currently I'm really concerned about that computer and that newspaper. In order to sleep, I need to feel okay about it. I need to not care. I need to have ambivalence. So I thought about the computer and I noticed the submodalities. And sure enough, as, as is often the case, when you're worried about something or something has got your attention, it's in your face. You actually put this image in front of you, right near your eyes, to kind of keep an eye on it. And it was big and it was bright and it was there in front of me. And then I thought about something that I felt ambivalent about, something I didn't really care that much about. And I looked up and there was a shelf of books, and I don't alphabetize my book collection so I didn't really care which order things were in so I looked at a book and I thought well I don't really care that book there I don't care if it's in that place or another place it's fine for me and I looked at these submodalities the quality of that image in my mind and I found that was over there 
at a distance. It was blurry, it was vague, it was slightly dull, wasn't colourful. It was difficult to see. And then I took this image of the computer that was bothering me and just slid it over to where that book was on the shelf in my mind. And as I did that, I suddenly found that the computer didn't bother me didn't have any significance for me. I was able to just have peace with the situation as it was. Now, of course, in the morning I'd need to do some work on it, but the important thing was to be able to change how I felt about that situation that I couldn't change right now. So I'd like you to think about where could you use a similar technique for yourself? Where would you like to feel differently about something? We'll be doing some specific exercises on things like people at work, customers, bosses, and so on. People who you have to hang around, but actually you find yourself getting in the wrong state. We're going to do some of that in a future podcast. But I like to start by thinking, what could I use this for? This really simple, brilliant understanding of how the brain works. Checking in with myself as to how does it look? And what do I already know about that I feel differently about? So if I feel stressed about something, what makes me feel calm? What are the differences between those two images? Now in this podcast, we've also just focused on images. We're going to be looking at how do you change the submodalities of sounds? How do you change the submodalities of kinesthetic experiences? We'll be covering that as well. But this is just a real beginning introduction to these things. Once again, if you want transcripts of this, we have transcripts. Send me an email, phil at philparker.org. So until next time, have a great week. If you'd like to get hold of the rest of the series, you can purchase them directly from the iTunes store. Just search for Phil Parker and Essential NLP. You might also like our newsletter, which you can sign up for at philparker.org. It will provide you with free bonus content on these subjects information about forthcoming seminars and all sorts of stuff that will support you in learning this. So that's philparker.org. Essential NLP. Practical skills for a great life.